The first spiritual law of success is the law of pure potentiality. This law is based on the fact that we are in our essential state pure consciousness. Pure consciousness is pure potentiality. It is the field of all possibilities and infinite creativity. Other attributes of consciousness are pure knowledge, unboundedness, perfect balance, infinite silence, invincibility, simplicity, and bliss. This is our essential nature. Our essential nature is one of pure potentiality. When you discover your essential nature and know who you really are, in that knowing itself is the ability to fulfill any dream you have because you are the eternal possibility, the immeasurable potential of all that was, is, and will be. The field of pure potentiality is your own self. And the more you come from the experience of the self, the closer you are to the field of pure potentiality. The experience of the self, or self-referral, means that our internal reference point is our own spirit, and not the objects of our experience. The opposite of self-referral is object referral. In object referral, we are always influenced by objects outside the self, which include situations, circumstances, people, and things. In object referral, we constantly seek the approval of others. Our thinking and our behavior is always in anticipation of a response. It is therefore fear-based. In object referral, we also feel an intense need to control things. We feel an intense need for power. But if you really look at it, the need to control things, the need for approval, the need for power are needs that are based on fear. This kind of power is not the power of pure potentiality or the power of the self, which is real power, but rather power as it is usually used to control other people. If you didn't have fear, you wouldn't need to control and you wouldn't need to struggle to have this kind of power over others. In object referral, your internal reference point is your ego. But the ego is not who you really are. The ego is your self-image. It is your social mask. And it is your social mask that wants approval. It wants to control. It wants to have power because it lives in fear. Your true self, which is your spirit, your soul, is completely free of those things. It is immune to criticism. It is unfearful of any challenge and it feels beneath no one. And yet, even though it feels beneath no one, it is humble because it recognizes that everyone else is the same self, the same spirit, in different disguises. It feels respect for other people, while at the same time feeling beneath no one. That's the difference between object referral and self-referral. In self-referral, you experience your true being, which is unfearful of any challenge, and feels beneath no one. This is true power. Power that comes from object referral through an object of reference is ego-based power and is not true power because it lasts only as long as the object is there. If you have a certain title, if you're the president of the country or the chairman of a corporation, if you have a lot of money, that kind of power goes with the job, it goes with the money, it goes with the title. And as long as you have all that, 
You have ego-based power. But as soon as the title, the job, the money goes away, so does the power. Self-power, on the other hand, is permanent. And there are certain characteristics of that self-power. It draws people to you. And it also draws things that you want to you. It develops in such a way that people, situations and circumstances are drawn to you to support what you want. This is also called the support of natural law or support from the laws of nature. It is the support of divinity. It is the support that comes from being in the state of grace. And in this case, your power is such that you enjoy a bond with people and people enjoy a bond with you. Your power is that of bonding, a bonding that comes from true love. How do we access the law of pure potentiality, the field of all possibilities? If you want to enjoy the benefits of the field of pure potentiality, if you want to make full use of the creativity which is inherent in pure consciousness, then you have to have access to it. And one way to access the field is through meditation and the practice of silence. Practicing silence means making a commitment to take a certain amount of time, and you can do it periodically, to simply be. Experiencing silence means not only not speaking and not engaging in conversation, it also means not looking at television, not listening to the radio, not reading a book. Because when you read a book, you're engaged in a conversation with the author. And in this case, when you're listening to this audio right now, you're engaged in a conversation with me. I'm speaking, you're listening and evaluating, you're defining, you're judging. This is all very well at times, of course, because this is part of life, part of activity. But if activity is never given an opportunity for silence, then this creates an inner turbulence. Set aside a little time every once in a while to experience silence. Not speaking is one component of experiencing silence for a certain period of the day. You could do it for two hours, or if that seems a lot, do it for a one-hour period, and every once in a while experience silence for an extended period of time, like a day or two days or even a whole week. What happens when you go into this experience of silence? Initially, your internal dialogue becomes even more turbulent. You have all this need. You've got to say these things. I've known people who go absolutely crazy the first day or two when they do it for an extended period of time. A sense of urgency and anxiety suddenly comes over them. But as they stay with it, the internal dialogue begins to quiet down. And as they stay with it for some time, that silence really becomes profound. Because after a while, the mind gives up. It says there's no point in going around and around if you're not going to speak, period. And as the internal dialogue quietens, you begin to experience the stillness of the field of pure potentiality. Practicing silence periodically, as it is convenient to you, is one way to experience the law of pure potentiality. Practicing non-judgment is another because to judge is to constantly evaluate and classify things as right and wrong, good and bad. When you're constantly evaluating, classifying, labeling, analyzing, this creates a lot of turbulence in your internal dialogue. And when you create turbulence in your internal dialogue, 
you restrict the flow of energy between you and the field of pure potentiality. You literally squeeze the gap between thoughts. The gap is your connection to the field of pure potentiality. It is that silent space between thoughts. It is that inner stillness that connects you to true power. And when you squeeze the gap, you squeeze your connection to the field of pure potentiality and infinite creativity. There's a prayer in the Course of Miracles that says, Today I shall judge nothing that occurs. Non-judgment creates silence in your mind. So it is a good idea to begin your day with that prayer, with that statement. And throughout the day, remind yourself of that statement each time you catch yourself judging. And if practicing this procedure for the whole day seems too difficult, then you may simply say to yourself, for the next two hours, I won't judge anything. Or for the next hour, I make this promise to myself to experience non-judgment. And then you can extend that gradually. And don't forget to spend time each day in meditation as well. Ideally speaking, meditate at least 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes in the evening. Through silence, through meditation, and through non-judgment, you will access the first law, the law of pure potentiality. And once you start doing that, you can add a fourth component to this procedure, and that is regularly spending time in communing with nature, direct connection with nature whether it be a stream or a forest or a mountain or a lake or the seashore, that connection with nature's intelligence will also help you access the field of pure potentiality. And as you gain more and more access to the field of pure potentiality, you will spontaneously receive creative thoughts because it is also the field of infinite creativity and pure knowledge. Franz Kafka once said, you need not leave your room. Remain sitting at your table and listen. You need not even listen. Simply wait. You need not even wait. Just learn to become quiet and still and solitary. The world will freely offer itself to you to be unmasked. It has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. The affluence of the universe, the lavish display and abundance of the universe is an expression of the creative mind of nature. The more tuned in you are to the creative mind of nature, the more you have access to the infinite unbounded creativity of nature's mind. But first you have to go beyond the turbulence of your internal dialogue to connect with that abundant, affluent, infinite creative mind. And then you create the possibility of dynamic activity while at the same time carrying the stillness of the eternal, unbounded, creative mind. This exquisite combination of silent, unbounded, infinite mind, along with dynamic, bounded, individual mind, is the perfect balance of stillness and movement simultaneously that can create whatever you want, the coexistence of opposites. The stillness and dynamism at the same time makes you independent of situations, circumstances, people and things. Stillness alone is the potentiality for creativity. Movement alone is creativity restricted to a certain aspect of its expression. But the combination of movement and stillness is creativity unleashed in all directions 
wherever the power of intention takes you. Wherever you go in the midst of movement and activity, carry your stillness within you, and the chaotic movement around you will never overshadow your access to the reservoir of creativity, the field of pure potentiality. Access to the field of pure potentiality will also give you insight into the mirror of relationship. All relationship is a mirror of your relationship with yourself. If you have guilt, fear and insecurity over money or anything else, then these are a reflection of guilt, fear and insecurity as basic aspects of your personality. Money will not solve these basic problems of existence. Only intimacy with the self will bring about true healing. You must learn to get in touch with the innermost essence of your being. This true essence is beyond the ego. It is fearless, it is free, it is immune to criticism, it does not fear any challenge, it is beneath no one, and yet it is humble. And when you are grounded in the knowledge of your true self, when you really understand your true nature, you will never feel guilty, fearful, or insecure about money or affluence or fulfilling your desires, because you will realize that the essence of wealth is life energy, it is pure potentiality, and pure potentiality is your intrinsic nature. Applying the Law of Pure Potentiality I will put the law of pure potentiality into effect by making a commitment to take the following steps. 1. I will get in touch with the field of pure potentiality by taking the time each day to be silent, to just be. I will sit alone in silent meditation at least twice a day for approximately 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes in the evening. 2. In the ecstasy of my own silence and also by communing with nature, I will enjoy the life throb of ages, the field of pure potentiality and unbounded creativity. 3. Today I will practice non-judgment. I will begin my day with the statement, Today I shall judge nothing that occurs. And throughout the day, I will remind myself not to judge. This is the law of giving. This law could also be called the law of giving and receiving because the universe operates through dynamic exchange. Nothing is static. Your body is in dynamic and constant exchange with the body of the universe. Your mind is dynamically interacting with the mind of the cosmos. Your energy is an expression of cosmic energy. This harmonious interaction of elements and forces in your life operates as the law of giving and receiving. And because your body and your mind and the universe are in constant and dynamic exchange, if you stop the circulation of energy, it's like stopping the flow of blood. As soon as you stop the flow of blood, it begins to clot, to coagulate, to strangle. That is why you must give and receive in order to keep wealth and affluence and abundance or anything you want in life circulating in your life. Money is really a symbol of the life energy we exchange and the life energy we use as a result of the service we provide to the universe. And in order to keep that energy coming to us, we have to keep the energy circulating. If you stop the circulation of money, 
If your only intention is to hold on to the money, since it is life energy, you will stop the circulation. Like a river, money must keep flowing, otherwise it begins to stagnate, to strangulate, and it can no longer support life. Circulation is what keeps it alive and vital. The best way to put the law of giving into operation, to start the process of circulation, is to make a decision that any time you come into contact with anyone, you will give them something. It doesn't have to be in the form of material things. It could be a flower, a compliment, or a prayer. In fact, the most powerful forms of giving are non-material. The gifts of caring, attention, affection, appreciation, and love are some of the most precious gifts you can give, and they don't cost you anything. When you meet someone, you can silently send them a blessing, wishing them happiness, joy, and laughter. This kind of silent giving can be very powerful. One of the things that I was taught as a child, and which I taught my children also, is never to go to anyone's house without taking something. Never visit anyone without bringing them a gift. You may say, how can I give to others when at the moment I don't have enough myself? You could bring a flower, one flower. You can bring a note or a card which says something about your feelings for the person you're visiting. You can bring a compliment. You can bring a prayer. But make a decision to give wherever you go, to whomever you see. And as long as you're giving, you will be receiving. Again, it doesn't have to be anything material, but by and by, include material things also. They don't have to be expensive. The most important thing is to start the process of circulation. The more you give, the more confidence you will gain in that it brings things to you. And the more you receive, the more you will also be able to give. Applying the Law of Giving I will put the law of giving into effect by making a commitment to take the following steps. 1. Wherever I go and whoever I encounter, I shall bear a gift for them. The gift may be a compliment, a flower or a prayer. Today I shall give something to everyone I come into contact with. And so I will begin the process of circulating wealth and affluence in my life and in the life of others. 2. Today I will gratefully receive all the gifts that life has to offer me. I will receive the gifts of nature, sunlight and the sound of birds singing, or spring showers, or the first snow of winter. I will also be open to receiving from others, whether it be in the form of a material gift, money, a compliment, or a prayer. 3. I will make a commitment to keep wealth circulating in my life by giving and receiving life's most precious gifts, the gifts of caring, affection, appreciation and love. Each time I meet someone, I will silently wish them happiness, joy and laughter. Success is the law of karma. Karma is both action and the consequence of that action. It is cause and effect simultaneously because every action generates a force of energy that returns to us in like kind. There is nothing unfamiliar about the law of karma. 
Everyone has heard the expression, what you sow is what you reap. Obviously, if we want to create happiness in our lives, we must learn to sow the seeds of happiness. Therefore, karma implies the action of conscious choice making. You and I are essentially infinite choice makers. In every moment of our existence, we are in that field of all possibilities where we have access to an infinity of choices. And the best way to understand and maximize the use of karmic law is to become consciously aware of the choices we make in every moment. Whether you like it or not, the fact is that everything that is happening this moment is a result of the choices you've made in the past. Unfortunately, a lot of us make choices unconsciously and therefore we don't think they are choices. And yet, they are. If I were to insult you, you would most likely make the choice of being offended. If I were to pay you a compliment, you would most likely make the choice of being pleased or flattered. But think about it. It's still a choice. I could offend you and I could insult you and you could make the choice of not being offended. I could pay you a compliment and you could make the choice of not letting that flatter you either. In other words, most of us, even though we are infinite choice makers, have become bundles of conditioned reflexes that are constantly being triggered by people and circumstance into predictable outcomes of behavior. These conditioned reflexes are a lot like Pavlovian conditioning. Pavlov is famous for demonstrating that if you give a dog something to eat every time you ring a bell, after a while the dog starts to salivate when you just ring the bell because it has associated one stimulus with the other. Most of us, as a result of conditioning, have repetitious and predictable responses to the stimuli in our environment. Our reactions seem to be automatically triggered by people and circumstance, and we forget that these are still choices that we are making in every moment of our existence. We are simply making these choices unconsciously. But if you step back for a moment and witness the choices you are making as you make those choices, then in fact, in just this act of witnessing, you take the whole process from the unconscious realm into the conscious realm. And you will immediately find this to be very empowering. When you make any choice, any choice at all, you can ask yourself two things. First of all, what are the consequences of this choice that I am making? And in your heart, you will immediately know what these are. Secondly, will this choice that I am making now bring happiness to me and to those around me? If the answer is yes, then go ahead with that choice. If the answer is no, if that choice brings distress to either you or to those around you, then don't make that choice. It's as simple as that. There is only one choice out of the infinity of choices available in every second. One choice that will create happiness for you as well as for those around you. And when you make that one choice, it will result in a form of behavior that is called spontaneous right action. Spontaneous right action means the right action at the right moment. It's the right response to every situation as it happens. It's the action that nourishes you and everyone else that is influenced by that action. 
There is a very interesting mechanism that the universe has to help you make spontaneously correct choices. The mechanism has to do with sensations in your body. Your body experiences two kinds of sensations. One is a sensation of comfort, the other is a sensation of discomfort. At the moment when you're consciously making a choice, pay attention to your body and ask your body, if I make this choice, what happens? If your body sends a message of comfort, that's the right choice. If your body sends a message of discomfort, then it's not the appropriate choice. For some people, the message of comfort and discomfort is in the area of the solar plexus, but for most people, it's in the area of the heart. Consciously put your attention in the heart and ask your heart what to do. Then wait for the response, a physical response in the form of a sensation. It may be this faintest level of feeling, the faintest level of feeling, but it's there in your body. Only the heart knows the correct answer. Most people think that the heart is mushy and sentimental, but it's not. The heart is intuitive, it is holistic, it's contextual, it's relational. It doesn't have a win-lose orientation. It taps into the cosmic computer and takes everything into account. At times, it may not even seem rational, but the heart has a computing ability that is far more accurate and far more precise than anything within the limits of rational thought. Whether we know it or not, life is a continuum of choices. Some are made consciously, others are made unconsciously. You can use the law of karma to create money and affluence and the flow of all good things to you anytime you want. But first, you must become consciously aware that your future is generated by the choices you're making in every moment of your life. If you do this on a regular basis, then you're making full use of the law of karma. And the more you bring your choices into the level of your conscious awareness, the more you will make those choices which are spontaneously correct, both for you and those around you. And then it will become easier for you to write the script of your life. Since karma means action, then any time you perform an action, that's a karmic episode. If you have a cup of coffee, for example, that's karma. That action generates memory, and memory has the ability, or it becomes the potentiality, to generate desire. And desire generates action again. The operational software of your soul, then, is karma, memory, and desire. That's what you're made up of. Your soul is nothing other than a bundle of consciousness that is full of this software. And all the actions in your past have created memories and desires in the operational software that exists in the gap. What about past karma and how it's influencing us now? There are three things you can do about past karma. One is to pay your karmic debts. Most people do that. They go about paying their karmic debts and sometimes there's a lot of suffering involved in the payment of those debts. That may be a choice you make also. A lot of people choose to do this, unconsciously of course. The law of karma says no debt in the universe ever goes unpaid. There's a perfect accounting system in this universe and everything is a constant to and fro of energy. The second thing you can do is to transmute or transform your karma. This is a very interesting process. 
in which you ask yourself, as you're paying your karmic debt, how can I make this experience useful to my fellow human beings? How can I learn something from it? What's here for me to learn from this experience? Why is this happening and what is the message that the universe is giving to me? By doing this, you look for the seed of opportunity and tie that seed of opportunity with your dharma, with your purpose in life, which we'll talk about in the seventh spiritual law of success. And then you transmute the karma to a new expression. You haven't really gotten rid of your karma, but you're able to take a karmic episode and create a new karma out of it. The third way to deal with karma is to transcend it. Transcend means to wash it off, to become completely independent of it. And the way to transcend the karma is to keep going into the gap. It's like washing a dirty piece of cloth in a stream of water. Every time you wash it, you take away a few stains. You keep washing it and washing it. You wash or transcend the seeds of your karma by going into the gap and coming out again. And this, of course, is done through the practice of meditation. You can become a conscious choice maker and learn to generate actions that are evolutionary for you and for those that are around you. And that's all you need to do. And as long as karma is evolutionary for both the self and everyone affected by the self, then the fruit of karma will be happiness and success. Applying the Law of Karma or Cause and Effect I will put the law of karma into effect by making a commitment to take the following steps. 1. Today I will witness the choices I make in each moment. And in the mere witnessing of these choices, I will bring them to my conscious awareness. I will know that the best way to prepare for any moment in the future is to be fully conscious in the present. 2. Whenever I make a choice, I will ask myself two questions. What are the consequences of this choice that I'm making? And will this choice bring fulfillment and happiness to me and also to those that are affected by this choice? 3. I will then ask my heart for guidance and be guided by its message of comfort or discomfort. If the choice feels comfortable, I will plunge ahead with abandon. If the choice feels uncomfortable, I will pause and see the consequences of my action with my inner vision. This guidance will enable me to make spontaneously correct choices for myself and for all those around me. Of least effort. This law is based on the fact that nature's intelligence functions with effortless ease and abandoned carefreeness. This is the principle of least action, of no resistance. This is, therefore, the principle of harmony and love. And we can learn this lesson from nature and easily fulfill our desires. If we observe nature at work, we see that least effort is expended. Grass doesn't try to grow, it just grows. Fish don't try to swim, they just swim. Flowers don't try to bloom, they bloom. Birds don't try to fly, they fly. This is their intrinsic nature. The earth doesn't try to spin on its own axis. It is the nature of the earth 
to hurtle through space. It is the nature of babies to be in bliss. They bubble with bliss. It is the nature of the sun to shine. It is the nature of the stars to glitter and sparkle. And it is human nature to make our dreams manifest into physical form, easily and effortlessly. In Vedic science, the age-old philosophy of India, this principle is known as the principle of economy of effort, or do less and accomplish more. Ultimately, you come to the state where you do nothing and accomplish everything. This means that there is just a faint idea and then the manifestation of the idea comes about effortlessly. What is commonly called a miracle is actually an expression of the law of least effort. Nature's intelligence functions effortlessly, frictionlessly, spontaneously. It is non-linear, it is intuitive, holistic and nourishing. And when you are in harmony with nature, when you are established in the knowledge of your true self, you can make use of the law of least effort. Least effort is expended when your actions are motivated by love, because nature is held together by this energy of love. When you seek power and control over other people, you waste energy. When you seek money or power for the sake of the ego, you spend energy chasing the illusion of happiness instead of enjoying happiness in the moment. When you seek money for personal gain only, you cut off the flow of energy to you and interfere with the expression of nature's intelligence. But when your actions are motivated by love, there is no wastage of energy. When your actions are motivated by love, your energy multiplies and accumulates, and the surplus energy you gather and enjoy can be channeled to create anything that you want, including unlimited wealth. You can think of your physical body as a device for controlling energy. It can generate, store, and expend energy. If you know how to generate, store, and expend energy in an efficient way, then you can create any amount of wealth. Attention to the ego consumes the greatest amount of energy. When your internal reference point is the ego, when you seek power and control over other people, or seek approval from others, you spend energy in a wasteful way. When that energy is freed up, it can be rechanneled and used to create anything that you want. When your internal reference point is your spirit, when you are immune to criticism and unfearful of any challenge, you can harness the power of love and use energy creatively for the experience of affluence and evolution. In The Art of Dreaming, Carlos Castaneda writes, Most of our energy goes into upholding our importance. If we were capable of losing some of that importance, two extraordinary things would happen to us. One, we would free our energy from trying to maintain the illusory idea of our grandeur. And two, we would provide ourselves with enough energy to catch a glimpse of the actual grandeur of the universe. There are three components to the law of least effort. Three things you can do to put this principle of do less and accomplish more into action. The first component is acceptance. Acceptance simply means that you make a commitment, today I will accept people, situations, circumstances and events as they occur. This means I will know that this moment is as it should be, because the whole universe 
is as it should be. This moment, the one you're experiencing right now, is the culmination of all the moments you have experienced in the past. And this moment is as it is because the entire universe is as it is. When you struggle against this moment, you're actually struggling against the entire universe. Instead, you can make the decision that today you will not struggle against the whole universe by struggling against this moment. This means that your acceptance of this moment is total and complete. You accept things as they are, not as you wish they were in this moment. Having accepted things as they are, you then take responsibility for your situation and for all the events you see as problems. This is the second component of the law of least effort, responsibility. What does responsibility mean? Responsibility means not blaming anyone or anything for your situation. Having accepted this circumstance, this event, this problem, responsibility then means the ability to have a creative response to the situation as it is now. All problems contain the seeds of opportunity. And this awareness allows you to take the moment and transform it to a better situation or thing. The third component of the law of least effort is defenselessness, which means that your awareness is established in defenselessness and you relinquish the need to convince or persuade others of your point of view. If you observe people around you, you'll see that they spend 99.9% of their time defending their point of view. If you just relinquish the need to defend your point of view, in that relinquishment, you will have access to enormous amounts of energy that has been previously wasted. When you become defensive, blame others, and do not accept and surrender to the moment, then your life meets resistance. Anytime you encounter resistance, recognize that if you force the situation, the resistance will only increase. You don't want to stand rigid like a tall oak that cracks and collapses in the storm. Instead, you want to be flexible. You want to be like a reed that bends with the storm and survives. When you have the exquisite combination of acceptance, responsibility and defenselessness, you will experience life flowing with effortless ease. Commit to follow the path of no resistance, which is the path through which nature's intelligence unfolds spontaneously, without friction or effort. Remain open to all points of view, not rigidly attached to only one. If you do this, your dreams and desires will flow with nature's desires. Then you can release your intentions without attachment and just wait for the appropriate season for your desires to blossom into reality. You can be sure that when the season is right, your desires will manifest. This then is the principle of least effort. Applying the Law of Least Effort I will put the law of least effort into effect by making a commitment to take the following steps. 1. I will practice acceptance. Today I will accept people, situations, circumstances and events as they occur. I will know that this moment 
is as it should be. Because the whole universe is as it should be. I will not struggle against the whole universe by struggling against this moment. My acceptance is total and complete. I accept things as they are, this moment, not as I wish they were. 2. Having accepted things as they are, I will take responsibility for my situation and for all those events I see as problems. I know that taking responsibility means not blaming anyone or anything for my situation, and this includes myself. I also know that every problem is an opportunity in disguise, and this alertness to opportunities allows me to take this moment and transform it into a greater benefit. 3. Today my awareness will remain established in defenselessness. I will relinquish the need to defend my point of view. I will feel no need to convince or persuade others to accept my point of view. I will remain open to all points of view and not be rigidly attached to any one of them. The fifth spiritual law of success is the law of intention and desire. This law is based on the fact that energy and information exist everywhere in nature. In fact, there is nothing other than energy and information at the level of the quantum field. And the quantum field is just another label for the field of pure consciousness or pure potentiality. And this quantum field is influenced by intention, by desire. Let's examine this process in detail. A flower, a rainbow, a tree, a blade of grass, a human body when broken down to their essential components, are energy and information. The whole universe in its essential nature is the movement of energy and information. The only difference between you and a tree is the difference between the energy and informational content in that energy at the level of the quantum field. On the material level, both you and the tree are made up of the same recycled elements, mostly carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and the other elements in minute amounts. You could buy these in a hardware store for a couple of dollars. The difference, therefore, between you and the tree is not the carbon or the hydrogen or the oxygen. In fact, you and the tree are constantly exchanging your carbon and oxygen with each other. The real difference between the two of you is in the energy and in the information. In the scheme of nature, you and I are a privileged species. We have a nervous system that is capable of becoming aware of the energy and information content of that localized field that gives rise to our physical body. We experience this quantum field. We experience it subjectively as our own thoughts, feelings, emotions, desires, memories, instincts, drives, beliefs the same quantum field that we experience as our thoughts and feelings and emotions and desires subjectively, we experience it objectively as the physical body. And through the physical body, we experience the same quantum field as the world. But it's all really the same stuff. And that is why the ancient seers exclaimed, I am that, you are that, all this is that, that's all there is. Your body is not separate from the body of the universe because at quantum mechanical levels, 
there are no well-defined edges. You're like a wiggle, a wave, a fluctuation, a convolution, a tide, a whirlpool, a localized disturbance in the larger quantum field. The larger quantum field, the universe, is your extended body. Not only is the human nervous system capable of becoming aware of the information and energy of its own quantum field, but because human consciousness is infinitely flexible through this wonderful nervous system that we have, you are able to consciously change the informational content that gives rise to your body. And by consciously changing the energy and informational content of your own quantum mechanical body, you can influence the energy and informational content of your extended body, your environment, your world, and therefore cause things to manifest in it. This conscious change is brought about by the two qualities inherent in consciousness, attention and intention. Attention energizes and intention transforms. Whatever you put your attention on will grow stronger in your life. Whatever you take your attention away from will wither, disintegrate and disappear. Intention, on the other hand, triggers transformation of energy and information. Intention is the real power behind desire. It is actually desire without attachment to the outcome. The quality of intention on the object of attention will orchestrate an infinity of space-time events to bring about the outcome intended, provided one follows the other spiritual laws of success. This is because intention on the fertile ground of attention has infinite organizing power. Infinite organizing power means the power to organize an infinity of space-time events all at the same time. We see the expression of this infinite organizing power in every blade of grass, in every apple blossom, in every cell of our body, in everything that is alive. What is remarkable about the nervous system of the human species is that it can command this infinite organizing power through conscious intent. Intent in the human species is not fixed or locked into a rigid network of energy and information. It has infinite flexibility. In other words, as long as you do not violate the other laws of nature, through your intent, you can literally command the laws of nature to fulfill your dreams and desires. You can literally put the cosmic computer with its infinite organizing power to work for you. The only caution is that you use your intent for the benefit of mankind. And that happens spontaneously when you are in alignment with the seven spiritual laws of success. Intention lays the groundwork for the effortless, spontaneous, frictionless flow of pure potentiality seeking expression from the unmanifest to the manifest. Intention combined with detachment leads to life-centered, present moment awareness. This is how intention makes action powerful. When action is performed in present moment awareness, it is most effective. The past, present and future are all properties of consciousness. The past is recollection, remembering, memory. The future is anticipation. The present is awareness.
Therefore, time is the movement of thought. Both past and future are born in the imagination. Only the present, which is awareness, is real and eternal. It is. It is the potentiality of space-time, matter and energy. It is an eternal field of possibilities, experiencing itself as abstract forces, whether they be light, heat, electricity, magnetism or gravity. These forces are neither in the past nor in the future. They just are. Our interpretation of these abstract forces gives us the experience of concrete phenomena and form. Remembered interpretations of abstract forces create the experience of the past. Anticipatory interpretations of the same abstract forces create the future. They are the qualities of attention in consciousness. And when the quality of attention in consciousness is freed from the burden of the past, then action in the present becomes the fertile ground for the creation of the future. Intention grounded in this detached freedom of the present then serves as the catalyst for the right mix of matter, energy and space-time events to create whatever it is that we desire. One pointed intention is that quality of attention that is unbending in its fixity of purpose. One pointed intention means to hold your attention to the outcome that's intended with such unbending purpose that you absolutely refuse to put your attention on obstacles. There is a total and complete exclusion of all obstacles. And if you have life-centered present moment awareness, then the imaginary obstacles, which are more than 90% of perceived obstacles, disintegrate and disappear. The remaining 5-10% to 10 of perceived obstacles can be transmuted into opportunities through intention. When you learn to harness the power of intention, you can create anything you desire. Intention generates its own power when you follow the following 5 steps for fulfilling your desires. Number 1. Slip into the gap. This means to center yourself in that silent space between thoughts, to go into the silence, that level of being, which is your essential state. Number two, established in that state of being, release your intentions and desires. Number three, remain in the state of self-referral. This means remain established in the awareness of your true self, your spirit, your connection to the field of pure potentiality. This means not looking at yourself through the eyes of the world, therefore not being influenced by the opinions and criticism of others. A very helpful way to maintain that state of self-referral is also to keep your desires to yourself, to keep them your own private secret, not share them with anyone else unless they share the exact same desires that you have and are closely bonded with you. Number four, relinquish your attachment to the outcome. And number five, let the universe handle the details. Intention, when released in the gap, has infinite organizing power. Trust that infinite organizing power of intention to orchestrate all the details for you. Remember that your true nature is that of pure spirit. Carry the consciousness of your spirit wherever you go. Gently release your desires and the universe will handle the details for you. Mm -hmm.
applying the law of intention and desire. I will put the law of intention and desire into effect by making a commitment to take the following steps. 1. I will make a list of all my desires. I will carry this list with me wherever I go. I shall look at this list before I go into my silence and meditation. I will look at it before I go to sleep at night. I will look at it when I wake up in the morning. 2. I will release this list of my desires and surrender it to the womb of creation, trusting that when things don't seem to go my way, there is a reason, and that the cosmic plan has designs for me much grander than even those that I have conceived. 3. Today I will remain established in self-referral. I will not be influenced by the opinions and criticisms of the world. I will not look at myself through the eyes of others. The sixth spiritual law of success is the law of detachment. The law of detachment says that in order to acquire anything in the physical universe, you have to relinquish your attachment to it. This doesn't mean you give up the intention to create your desire. You don't give up the intention and you don't give up the desire. You give up your attachment to the result. This is a very powerful thing to do. You still have the intention, one-pointed intention, one-pointed desire, but you relinquish your attachment to the result. And the moment you relinquish your attachment to the result, combining one-pointed intention with detachment at the same time, you will have that which you desire. The source of wealth, of abundance, of anything in the world is the self. It is the consciousness that knows how to fulfill a need. Everything else is a symbol. Cars and houses and banknotes and clothes and airplanes, these are symbols. Symbols are transitory. They come and go. Chasing symbols is like settling for the map instead of the territory. It creates anxiety. It ends up making you feel hollow and empty inside because you exchange yourself for the symbols of yourself. Anything that exists in the physical universe can be acquired by relinquishing your attachment to it. Attachment comes from poverty consciousness because attachment is always to symbols. Detachment is synonymous with wealth consciousness because with detachment there is freedom to create. Then the symbols of wealth are created spontaneously and effortlessly. Only from detached involvement can one have joy and laughter. Without detachment, we are prisoners of helplessness, hopelessness, mundane needs, trivial concerns, quiet desperation and seriousness, the distinctive features of everyday mediocre existence and poverty consciousness. People are constantly seeking security. Even attachment to money is a sign of insecurity. And you will find that this seeking of security is actually a very ephemeral thing. You might say, when I have X million dollars, then I'll be secure. Then I'll be financially independent and I will retire. Then I will do all the things I really want to do. But it never happens. Never happens. The need for security is based on not knowing the true self. Those who seek security chase it for a lifetime 
without ever finding it. It remains elusive and ephemeral because security can never come from money alone. Attachment to money will always create insecurity, no matter how much money you have in the bank. In fact, some of the people who have the most money are the most insecure. True wealth consciousness is the ability to have anything you want, anytime you want, and with least effort. To be grounded in this experience, you have to be grounded in the wisdom of uncertainty. In this uncertainty, you will find freedom to create anything you want. Security and certainty are a result of rigid attachment to the known. However, the known is nothing other than the prison of past conditioning. Uncertainty, on the other hand, is the fertile ground of pure creativity and freedom. Uncertainty is the same thing as stepping into the unknown in every moment of our existence. The unknown is the field of all possibilities, ever fresh, ever new, always open to the creation of new manifestations. Without uncertainty and the unknown, life is just the stale repetition of outworn memories. You become the victim of the past and your tormentor today is yourself left over from yesterday. The search for security is an illusion. In Vedic wisdom, the answer to this whole search is what we call the wisdom of insecurity or the wisdom of uncertainty, which means that this search for security is actually an attachment to the known. And what's the known? The known is our past. It's just the prison of past conditioning. There's no evolution in that, absolutely no evolution at all. And when there is no evolution, there is stagnation, entropy, disorder, and decay. Relinquish your attachment to the known. Step into the unknown, and you will step into the field of all possibilities. In your willingness to step into the unknown, you will have the wisdom of uncertainty factored in. And this means that in every moment of your life, you will have excitement, adventure, mystery. You will experience the fun of life and have an exuberance and zest for living. Every day you can look for the excitement of what may occur in that field of all possibilities. When you experience uncertainty, you are on the right path. So don't give it up. You don't need to have any idea of what you'll be doing next week or next year because if you have a very clear idea of what's going to happen and you get rigidly attached to it, then you shut out a whole range of possibilities. One characteristic of the field of all possibilities is infinite correlation. The field can orchestrate an infinity of space-time events to bring about the outcome that is intended. But when you are attached, your intention gets locked into a rigid mindset and you lose the fluidity, the creativity and the spontaneity inherent in the field. When you get attached, you freeze your desire from that infinite fluidity and flexibility into a rigid framework which interferes with the whole process of creation. Now this doesn't take away from the law of intention, from goal setting. It's simply saying that you want to go in that direction, you have this goal, but between point A and point B, there's an infinity of possibilities. With uncertainty factored in, you might change direction in any moment if you find a higher ideal 
or if you find something more exciting. And you're also less likely to force solutions on problems, which enables you to stay alert to opportunities. That's the whole process of evolution. You don't force solutions. When you force solutions on problems, you only create new problems. But when you put your attention on the uncertainty and you witness the uncertainty while you expectantly wait for the solution to emerge out of the chaos and the confusion, that what emerges is something very fabulous, something very exciting. This state of alertness, your preparedness in the present, in the field of uncertainty, meets with your goal and your intention and allows you to seize the opportunity. What's the opportunity? It's contained within every problem that you have in your life. Every single problem that you have in your life is the seed of an opportunity for some greater benefit in your life. And when you have that perception, you open up to a whole range of possibilities. And this keeps the mystery, the wonder, the excitement, the adventure alive. You can look upon every problem that you have in your life as an opportunity for some greater benefit. You stay alert to opportunities by being grounded in the wisdom of uncertainty. And when your preparedness meets opportunity, the solution will spontaneously appear. What comes out of that is called good luck. Good luck is nothing but preparedness and opportunity coming together. When the two are mixed together, with an alert witnessing of the chaos, a solution emerges that will be of evolutionary benefit to you and to all those that you come into contact with. This, then, is the perfect recipe for success, and it is based on the law of detachment. Applying the Law of Detachment I will put the law of detachment into effect by making a commitment to take the following steps. 1. Today I will commit myself to detachment. I will allow myself and those around me the freedom to be as they are. I will not rigidly impose my idea of how things should be. I will not force solutions on problems, thereby creating new problems. I will participate in everything with detached involvement. 2. Today I will factor in uncertainty as an essential ingredient of my experience. In my willingness to accept uncertainty, solutions will spontaneously emerge out of the problem, out of the confusion, disorder and chaos. The more uncertain things seem to be, the more secure I will feel, because uncertainty is my path to freedom. Through the wisdom of insecurity, I will find my security. 3. I will step into the field of all possibilities and anticipate the excitement that can occur when I remain open to an infinity of choices. When I step into the field of all possibilities, I will experience all the fun, adventure and mystery of life. And the seventh spiritual law of success is the law of Dharma, spelt D-H-A-R-M-A. Dharma is a Sanskrit word that means purpose in life. The law of Dharma says that we have taken manifestation in physical form to fulfill a purpose. 
The field of pure potentiality is divinity in its essence, and the divine takes human form to fulfill a purpose. According to this law, you have a unique talent and a unique way of expressing it. There is something that you can do better than anyone else in the whole world. And for every unique talent and unique expression of that talent, there are also unique needs. When these needs are matched with the creative expression of your talent, that is the spark that creates affluence. Expressing your talents to fulfill needs creates unlimited wealth and abundance. If you could start children right from the beginning with this thought, you'd see the effect it has on their lives. In fact, I did this with my own children. Again and again I told them there was a reason why they were here and they had to find out what that reason was for themselves. From the age of four years, they heard this. When they were about the same age, I also taught them to meditate and I told them, I never ever want you to worry about making a living. In fact, I can tell you that if you're unable to make a living when you grow up, I'll provide for you. So don't worry about that. I don't want you to focus on doing well in school. I don't want you to focus on getting the best grades or going to the best colleges. What I really want you to focus on is to ask yourself how you can serve humanity and to ask yourself what are your unique talents. Because you have a unique talent that no one else has. And you have a special way of expressing that talent. And no one else has it. They ended up, of course, going to the best schools and getting the best grades. And even in college, they are unique in that they are making a lot of money right now because they are focused on what they are here to give. This, then, is the law of Dharma. There are three components to the law of Dharma. The first component says that each of us is here to discover our true self, to find out on our own that our true self is spiritual, that essentially we are spiritual beings that have taken manifestation in physical form. We are not human beings that have occasional spiritual experiences. It's the other way around. We are spiritual beings that have occasional human experiences. That's the first fulfillment of the law of Dharma. And each of us is here to discover our higher self or our spiritual self. We must find out for our own self that inside us is a god or goddess in embryo that wants to be born so that we can express our divinity. The second component of the law of dharma is to express your unique talents. The law of dharma says that every human being that is alive has a unique talent. You have a talent that is unique in its expression, so unique that there is no one else alive on this planet that has that talent or that expression of that talent. Which means that there is one thing you can do and one way of doing it that is better than anyone else on this entire planet. And when you are doing that one thing, you lose track of time. When you are expressing that one unique talent that you possess, or maybe more than one unique talent in many cases, the expression of that talent takes you into timeless awareness and you lose track of time. The third component of the law of dharma is service to humanity, to serve your fellow human beings and to ask yourself the questions, how can I help, how can I help all those that I come into contact with? 
when you combine the ability to express your unique talent with service to humanity, then you make full use of the law of dharma. And coupled with the experience of your own spirituality, the field of pure potentiality, there is no way you will not have access to unlimited abundance, because that is the real way abundance is achieved. This is not a temporary abundance, it's permanent. Because of your unique talent, your way of expressing it, and your service and dedication to your fellow human beings, through asking the question, how can I help, instead of asking the question, what's in it for me. The question, what's in it for me, is the internal dialogue of the ego. Asking, how can I help, is the internal dialogue of the spirit. Why? Because the spirit is that domain of your awareness where you experience your universality. And so, in just shifting your internal dialogue from what's in it for me to how can I help, you automatically go beyond the ego into the domain of your spirit. While meditation is the most useful way of entering the domain of the spirit, shifting your internal dialogue to how can I help will also access the spirit, that domain of your awareness where you experience your universality. If you want to make maximum use of the law of dharma, then you have to make several commitments. The first commitment is this. I am going to seek my higher self which is beyond my ego. And I am going to do that through spiritual practice. Secondly, I am going to discover my unique talents. And finding my unique talents, I am going to enjoy myself. Because the process of enjoyment occurs when I go into timeless awareness. That's when I am in a state of bliss. And the third commitment is, I am going to ask myself how I am best suited to serve humanity. I am going to answer that question and then put it into practice. I am going to use my unique talents to serve the needs of my fellow human beings. I will match them to my desire to help and serve others. And you literally sit down and make a list of the answers to these two questions. Ask yourself, if money was of no concern and you had all the time and money in the world, what would you do? If you would still do what you currently do, then you are in dharma, because you have passion for what you do. You're expressing your unique talents. Then ask yourself, how am I best suited to serve humanity? Answer that question and put it into practice. Discover your divinity. Find your unique talent. Serve humanity with it and you can generate all the wealth that you want. When your creative expressions match the needs of your fellow humans, then wealth spontaneously flows from the unmanifest into the manifest, from the realm of the spirit to the world of form. Applying the Law of Dharma or Purpose in Life I will put the law of dharma into effect by making a commitment to take the following steps. 1. I will spend time in silence every day to get in touch with my higher spiritual self. By experiencing my higher self, I will experience the law of pure potentiality. I will set aside 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes in the evening. I need not do anything. I will just listen and the world will freely offer itself to me. 2. I will make a list of my unique talents. Then I will list three things that I love to do while expressing my talents. When I express my unique talents, 
and use them in the service of humanity, I lose track of time and create abundance in my life as well as the lives of others. 3. I will ask myself daily, how can I serve and how can I help? The answers to these questions will allow me to help and serve my fellow human beings with love. The seven spiritual laws of success are powerful principles that will enable you to attain self-mastery. If you put your attention on these laws and practice the steps outlined above, you will see that you can manifest anything you want, all the affluence, money and success that you want. You will also see that your life becomes more joyful and abundant in every way. For these laws are also the spiritual laws of life that make living worthwhile. There is a natural sequence for the application of these laws in your daily life that may help you to remember them. The law of pure potentiality is experienced through silence, through meditation, through non-judgment, through communion with nature. But it is activated by the law of giving. And the principle here is to learn to give that which you seek. That's how you activate the law of pure potentiality. If you seek affluence, give it. If you seek money, give money. If you seek love, appreciation and affection, then learn to give love, appreciation and affection. Through your actions in the law of giving, you activate your karma. You create good karma. And good karma makes everything easy. You notice that you don't have to expend a lot of effort to fulfill your desires, which automatically leads to an understanding of the law of least effort. And when everything is easy and effortless, and your desires keep getting fulfilled, you spontaneously begin to understand the law of intention and desire. This then makes it easy for you to practice the law of detachment. Finally, as you begin to understand all the above laws, you begin to focus on your true purpose in life, which leads to the law of dharma. And through the use of this law, by expressing your unique talents and fulfilling the needs of your fellow humans, you will create unlimited wealth, abundance and joy in your life. We are travelers on a cosmic journey, stardust swirling and dancing in the eddies and whirlpools of infinity. Life is eternal, but the expressions of life are ephemeral, momentary, transient. Gautama Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, once said, This existence of ours is as transient as autumn clouds. To watch the birth and death of beings is like looking at the movements of a dance. A lifetime is like a flash of lightning in the sky, rushing by like a torrent down a steep mountain. We have stopped for a moment to encounter each other, to meet, to love, to share. This is a precious moment but it is transient. It is a little parenthesis in eternity. If we share with caring, light-heartedness and love, we will create abundance and joy for each other. And then this moment will have been worthwhile.